0: How's your eyesight? How's your vision? Uh, now this right here is not an official eye test, so if you can't see that the top letter there is a G, don't worry about it. Um, it, it it's, it's just kind of the idea of, uh, of eyesight, and kind of checking on our eyesight. Uh, I got my first pair of glasses someplace, I was trying to remember, someplace between middle school, early high school. I think it was middle school. For a while there, I would wear them sometimes and not wear them sometimes. There wasn't really that big of a difference. I went looking to try to find an old picture of me back in those days wearing glasses. And apparently, uh, I decided when someone was taking a picture, I would take my glasses off. Uh, But before too long, it got to the place where there was a big difference between when I had glasses on and when I don't uh, have glasses on. Vision makes a difference. Uh, Baseball, great. Ted Williams, Uh, they said that one of the keys to his greatness was that he had 20, 10 eyesight. That means that what you saw at 10 feet, he could see at 20 feet. Now, I think that I have 20 upside of my head uh, eyesight. What you see at 20 feet, I don't see until it hits me upside of my head. Uh, That's the way my vision goes. But here, as we think about our days of hope, and we think about this season of really focusing on helping other people meet and follow Jesus. One of the things that I want you to know as a foundation piece is that people who share hope have above average vision. People who share hope have above average vision. I want us to take a look at this passage of Scripture this morning, the whole passage, and we're only going to look at part of it this morning and part of it again next Sunday because it's such a great story of a transformed life. But in this passage this morning, our emphasis this morning, I want us to be thinking about vision. I want us to be thinking about what we see. I want us to be thinking uh, about our eyesight in what we see, and so as we dig in this morning, we're going to be looking from the perspective of Jesus in this passage of Scripture, and I want you to just think about vision this morning. As we take a look at it, one of the first things that I want you to see is that Jesus saw, he saw things that other people didn't see, but to begin with, Jesus saw in this passage of Scripture more than a pest. If you go back to John chapter 9 and verse 1, we see that Jesus walks by this man who is blind from birth. This person who has lived off of and his subsistence is off of begging, he is there in this same place, in this central place where people are coming and going all of the time, and it tells us that Jesus saw him. Now, the emphasis there is that Jesus saw him, and I think what we're supposed to hear is that the rest of the room, the rest of the group, the rest of the people did not see him. Now, it's not because he was hiding behind a pillar. It's not because they were wearing blindfolds. It was just because they did not see him. You see, I think it's possible that there's several of us in this room that have on occasion found ways to avoid certain people. We, we have found ways to not engage in certain places. We, we have found ways to ignore people. Maybe you haven't, but the, probably the person next to you probably has. In fact, they're pretending you're not there right now. I think the truth of the matter is that we kind of ignore people, we kind of look past people, we avoid two different groups of people, big circles of people. The first one is strangers that we just don't know enough about. Strangers that we're just not sure about. We just kind of take a look, we, we take a glance at them, and there's something about the way they carry themselves, something about the way they're dressed, something about their size, something about the way they carry themselves. We're like, you know, I don't know who that is. I'm going to be careful. I'm going to steer away. They might harm me. They might hurt me. They might try to sell me something. Whatever it is, you just kind of say, I don't know who that is. I'm going to steer clear. And that, that's one of the circles. Another one of the circles that, that sometimes we avoid or ignore people is not strangers that we don't know enough about, but it's actually people that we know all too well. Like, oh boy, I know that person. Uh, oh man, if I talk to that person, I'm going to be stuck having this conversation, or oh, I'm going to have to game, deal with this, and, that. and so we've become experts it kind of deflecting our engagement so that we can avoid them, so that we can kind of ignore them. We, we, we kind of have that pattern sometimes. But I want you to know is that as Jesus walked by this man, he didn't avoid him, he didn't ignore him, he saw him. And it's a big deal. And, and in fact, there, there are several reasons why Jesus could have, would have, or even been excused for walking right past this person. One of the things is it was a very crowded place. It was there at the entry point of one of the entry points going in and out of the temple. It was literally the busiest place in town. There were tons of people there. There were probably other beggars there that were in that same place. Lots of traffic, lots of things going on, lots of noise. So it's a crowd. It would have been understandable if Jesus had not seen him looked at him or engaged with him. It also would seem to be understandable that Jesus could have avoided him or ignored him because it seems like like everyone else did too. In fact, the amazing thing is in this passage of Scripture, when this man's eyesight is restored, there's a great deal of controversy. Hey, is that the guy that used to be over there by the temple gate? And the people say, yeah, we're not sure. Well, you just saw him 20 minutes ago. How are you not sure? Well, I think one of the reasons is because if you spend your time avoiding someone and ignoring someone, you never—you may never have really looked them in the face. You may never have looked them eye to eye. And so in this moment, when this man, has, his, his, his sight has been restored and everybody is looking at him, they're like, Is that the guy or does he just kind of look like the guy? Maybe he's the guy. He's not the guy. And he has to put a name tag on that says, I'm the guy. I'm the guy that used to sit there. And half of the people that met him didn't believe him because they were so used to looking right past him and through him. Plenty of reason for Jesus to to not make this connection. But there's one more that just really kind of knocked my, my my socks off this week. One of the reasons that really impresses me <laughs> that it would have been really reasonable for Jesus to miss this guy. In this moment, Jesus is running for his life. Now, we don't say that sentence very often, but if you will just jog back just a couple of verses toward the end of John chapter 8 Go back to verse 58. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time on that because that's really one of the great verses in Scripture. It's one of the most profound verses of Scripture, and it's a whole nother sermon. But in this moment, when Jesus not only compares himself to Abraham, but he says that before Abraham existed that he was—he—he is claiming to be God in this moment. Well, it doesn't go very well. Jesus says, Before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. And as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. He is in an escape mode right now. There are people looking for him with rocks to throw at him. It is not the place to slow down and say, hey man, how you doing today? But that's exactly what Jesus does. I would tell you that that is extraordinary vision. That when everyone else Is trying to avoid this person because they just said, "I don't know him," or "I do know him," or whatever. He's probably asking for things from me. I don't feel like dealing with this person. He's a—he's like a piece of furniture right here. He's always here. It's the same thing every day. Whatever it was, people streamed past this man. And even while people are standing around saying, "Where'd he go? Where'd he go?" Jesus stops and have a conversation with this man because Jesus saw that he was more than a pest. Now, here's the thing. One of my things that I love about this passage is that maybe in this exact same spot, certainly in one of the the entrances to the temple, in Acts chapter 3, a couple of the disciples are in the same spot in the same circumstance. And they come across another disabled person. You know what happens? They see him. They see him. They learn to have their eyesight changed. They began to learn that as you walk through these places, have your eyes open, engage, and see people. And so Jesus heals this man in the gateway into the temple. And in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John stop, have a conversation, and heal the man there in Acts chapter 3 because they saw differently because they'd watched what Jesus saw. I love the fact that Jesus sees them as more than a pest, but as someone to pay attention to even in this moment of stress in his life. But I would also tell you that Jesus saw more than a problem. Jesus saw more than a problem. Now, now I got to tell you, this part of the story is the technical term, uncool. This, this is the technical term here. This is kind of uncool. Jesus has stopped in some way to engage this man who has been ignored by almost every single person this day and almost every single person all of his life. People can't even recognize him. Can't even pick him out of a lineup. Jesus stops to talk to this person. You see what the disciples do? The disciples asked this theological, philosophical question. Jesus, Rabbi, this man has been blind from birth. Apparently they knew some of his backstory. This person has been blind from birth? Whose fault is that? Is this his sin or is this the sin of his parents? Now, that's an interesting philosophical question because it's that if he's blind from birth, either he he, he sinned in the womb or someplace sin jumped the generation. So it's an interesting question, but watch what's happening. They are talking about this man instead of talking to this man. That's uncool. Like, he can hear you. You are standing right in front of Him and you are using Him as a pawn for theological discussion and debate. Now, there's some understanding to that. There are things that happen in this world. There are things that we see in this world. There are stories that we hear in this world. There are people that we encounter in this world either through media or firsthand. And we say, man, how broken is this world? How messed up is that? How out of order is this? But what these guys did is that they took this man and used him as a case study to discuss the brokenness of this world and the causes thereof. Now, I can understand that. There are things that we see. There are things that puzzle us. There are things that disturb us. And we try to figure out, how did this world get this broken? And we may even have some favorite theory. And as we sit around and we talk to some people, maybe even we talk to other believers, we we, we list the brokenness of this world and have a theory, well, this is the reason why it's like this. And Jesus says, fellas, fellas, you've missed the point. This is not about whether he sinned and this is not about whether his parents sinned. Let me tell you what this story is about is that his life is to display the works, the glory, and the power of God. And time is running out. He is here in this moment because his life is to display the God-transforming work. That's what this story is about. It is the truer story it is the deeper story it is the more important story in this moment it's not philosophical he is a real live person and Jesus says the biggest thing we need to know right now is that the work of God can be displayed in his life the work of God can be displayed in his life and Jesus says and time is running out He says, currently it's daytime, and we can work as long as it's daylight. But that sentence also says, one of these days we're going to run out of daylight. He says, as long as I'm here, it's daylight. But there's a time coming when the daylight goes. Now, in some ways, Jesus was going to be on earth for a little while. Jesus' presence still remains for us now. But for this man, for this man, there was a day in which that sun was going down. Jesus says, Listen, the biggest thing that you need to know is that this is a life that is ready for the work of God. And the clock is ticking. You know, one of the biggest things that, that, that we talk about in terms of history is uh, when we put a man on the moon. Big deal. Big deal day. Uh, I, you know, I've had little seasons of my life where I've been super fascinated by that. I call them nighttime when the moon is out there. And I, and I look at it like, man, that's absolutely amazing. We put a man on the moon. And in fact, we, we, we kind of have no more excuses about anything in our lives. So I can't believe we don't do this. We put a man on the moon, and we can't figure this out. We put a man on the moon, and we can't do this. Putting the man on the moon was a really big... Deal. But it's even more complicated than I think that we remember. It is not just launching somebody in a general direction. You kind of had to kind of had to aim. And it's not just launching someone to the moon, but they had to determine out of the surface of that moon where's the best place for that lunar landing to land. And in fact, one of the previous Apollo missions, its sole purpose was to circle the moon a couple times. And figure out where is the best spot for this craft to land. They determined it was what's called the Sea of Tranquility. This is the place for the lunar module to land. One of the things that Jesus wanted these disciples to know is that what you need to know about this man is that his life is the place. For the work and the glory and the power of God to land. That's the place. One of the things that you and I need to see and begin to, to, to recognize is that when we see people in this world, all people that we see in this world, even people that annoy us or puzzle us, is that they are a spiritual sea of tranquility. They are a place for the glory, the work, the power, the grace of God to land. Right there, right there, right there, right there. Everyone that we encounter is a place for the Spirit of God to land. If we can talk straight just for a moment or two, this may be one of the places where we need to be challenged as the church today the church, our church, that church, whatever church, that that we need need a growth point where we move from being annoyed by the brokenness of this world to being engaged with the brokenness of this world. Stop using people as an example. Man, things are messed up. But go find out their name with them. Pray for them. Pray with them. Pray over them. Talk to them. Have a connection with them. Invite them into a community of faith. Invite them to church. Share the story of Jesus. They're not a problem. They're not a puzzle. They're not a theological debate. They are a person that God has, says, you know what they're here for? To display power, the glory, the wonder of God in their life. Every person that you see this week is a canvas waiting for the masterpiece of God on their lives. Jesus saw this man not as a problem or a puzzle, but as a place for the work of God to appear. One more thing, Jesus saw more than a project. Jesus saw more Than a project. We won't spend a lot of time on theological debates and discussions. We we, we try to just kind of handle the text. But, But there is a theological conversation, debate, discussion that happens among church people sometimes. And it is this tension, it is this tension between telling the story of Jesus. And meeting people's needs. And for some people, there is this struggle that says that we have to tell the story of Jesus before we do anything else. And if we focus on meeting someone's needs, extending kindness, meeting a need in any way, then we've minimized what we believe about Jesus and the importance of Jesus. well, I don't believe that. And in fact, if if you say that we have to tell the story of Jesus before we can meet a need or to care or to extend kindness, then you're going to have to take that up with Jesus. Because he heals this man in verse 6 and doesn't call for faith until verse 35. In fact, Jesus heals this man, and I believe that he heals many other people because he cared about him, regardless of what this man's next faith step was going to be. Now, listen, Jesus cared. We care. But I think one of the things that can kind of turn people away from the truth of Jesus. If when we get excited about telling people about Jesus, we only care how they respond to our faith conversation we We only care about them as long as it takes for us to to tell them the story of jesus and If they say no, then we we're, we're kind of done with them, and they get the sense that, that we see them as spiritual sales prospects, and that's all we 're interested in their lives we we need do better than that just like Jesus did here. There's 30 verses before he comes to him and says, do you believe? Jesus cared for him because he cared for him. We need to come to the place where we we interact with people because we value them, because we care for them, because we share life together, because we want to help them, because we want to cheer for them, because we want to pray for them, and because we want to tell them about Jesus. Well, we're not just here to send spiritual missiles at people. We're here to love people, to help them know that they are loved by God, to know that they are called to be transformed by Jesus, and that they are welcome right here in this place, right next to me. Jesus saw this man as more than a project. So what does this mean to us this morning? Well, I want us to think in terms of how we need to see the world differently. But I also want to just back up just for a moment. I don't know everybody's story here. It's possible that you're here this morning and what you need to know is that Jesus sees you. Even in the middle of a crowd, even when it feels like just about everyone else looks right past you, right through you, right beyond you. Maybe sometimes it feels like there's some pieces of your life that are broken There's some pieces of your life that just aren't where they're supposed to be. There's some wounds. There's some harms. There's some things that you've messed up. Sometimes you think, well, no one's going to see me or pay attention to me. And certainly God's not going to pay attention to me. Hear me, hear me, hear me. Jesus sees you. He sees you as more than a pest. He sees you as more than a problem. He sees you as more than a project. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Really, he loves you. And it may be that on this morning, you get to stand in the same place that this man who used to be blind stood. And in that place... He discovers who Jesus is. He discovers who is the Messiah, who is the Savior. And he says, If you tell me who it is, I will believe in him. And Jesus says, You're looking at him. You're looking at him. And he says, I believe. And he worshiped him. I want you to see Jesus this morning. I want you to see Jesus this morning. if you've never believed I want you to believe today and I want you to worship today because he sees you he loves you calls you to a brand new life if you stand before him today in this moment you can say I believe and I worship you